powerful message in song today. Every time I hear that song, I'm not sure whether to stand up in awe of God or fall on my face before him because of the truth in that song. And uh, that sets the table well for what we're going to talk about a little while together this morning. Uh, if you would, I would invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 33. Psalm 33 is where we're going to focus our attention this morning in God's Word. And as you're turning there, I want to just share with you a, a couple of things. First, uh, I am humble and honored to be in the presence of those others who stood a little while ago who have served our nation faithfully in, in those service categories, serving our nation uh, in the branches of service or as first responders. And it was interesting to me as I looked back across the crowd that many of those who stood with the first group after setting down stood up in that second group of service in those categories. And I just thank you for your faithfulness to be here with some of our World War II veterans, Korean veterans, Vietnam veterans, uh, up to the current conflicts that we have. Uh, as I expressed to Danny just a little bit earlier, um, I consider myself not a hero, but a hero helper. I just had the privilege of walking across the shadows of these folks and trying to, to share um, in faith with them and represent the presence of God to them on a regular basis. And uh, it's just, a, just an honor to do that. The second thing that I want to tell you today is that something I'm doing, brother? Okay, we'll figure it out here in a minute. We'll get things situated. Hopefully I won't distract you too much. Um, the second thing I want to tell you is thank you for allowing me the privilege of being one of your missionaries. I am a Southern Baptist missionary endorsed by the North American Mission Board. By day, I actually work for the North American Mission Board um, as a national catalyst for church planting in military communities. If you've followed our rhythm uh, of late, these last few years under the leadership of our president, Kevin Ezell, uh, he gave me that opportunity. And under the leadership of Doug Carver, who's my boss, we are concentrating, making strategic efforts to plant dynamic gospel-centered churches in proximity to all of our military installations across the globe. So I had the unique uh, opportunity to, to represent that as an icon and to uh, also to uh, connect the dots for us. That's what I tell people most days. I, I connect the dots uh, for people seeking to support that kind of ministry. And also between, I'm one of the unique folks that gets to partner directly with many of our North American Mission Board partners and our IMB partners because we have those church plants going on in other places around the globe where our service members are serving and complimentary chaplains are doing. So thank you for that privilege. It's been an honor to do that across the years, and I could not do that without your support. Uh, now, all of the money that you give to Annie and those kinds of things are, are contributing in, in indirect ways to that momentum. Uh, of course, when I'm doing military service, uh, they uh, provide uh, a sense of income. But you provide the structure for that, for us as Navy chaplains. We could not do this or serve without that endorsement, without that blessing from you as our denomination to go forward and to hold, hold us accountable in that. All right, uh, is John Kemp still here? John, are you still here? I want you to begin to make your way, if you would, uh, up here beside me for a moment. Uh, and I'm going to, while he's coming, I want you to... I want, I want you to pay very close attention to me. Don't get distracted by John walking up here. He, he's going to make his way. But I need to read you something that they gave me before I left the office at the Pentagon uh, that I am supposed to read to you. And I need to make sure you hear this part very clearly. This is a DOD. Come on, brother. This is a DOD disclaimer. The views presented are those of the speaker and do not necessarily represent the views of the DOD are its components. All right, did everybody hear that? Let me see your hand. Let me see your hand. I want you waving at me. If you heard, if you heard and understood what I just said, I want to make sure you got it. Okay, all right, you buckle up, all right, from there, because now you know it's on me, and we can't blame any of it on them, uh, but I'm going to preach the Word of God here today, okay? And uh, I believe that part of the things that we do for our nation is to provide that privilege and freedom of worship. And even as a Navy chaplain, as I stand before here, you here today in uniform as a flag officer, I think those two things can merge. And we do that respectfully. Uh, it's important what our military members 
do in their service. Don't, don't be afraid, man. Come slip, slip right on over here behind me. Uh, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about being distinct or being a striking representation uh, of things according to God's Word. Now, I am a striking representation of being in the military. And I wear what I wear and look like I look so that John can wear what he wears, including those cool cowboy boots, and look like he looks, okay? We're definitely distinct and look different, don't we? He, I think, looks a little bit more like Jesus uh, than, than I do even as the way he's dressed here today. And I'll tell you, that voice is certain glorious, man. I, I want to say to you and to all of those who provided the music today, that, that distinct tenor voice that he brought out on that song was a blessing today. Thanks for doing that, John. But there are lots of things that we see that are distinctive, that are striking like that when we walk into a panorama. Maybe it's a beautiful sunset. I lived in Texas for a number of years while we were attending seminary. Uh, please don't take offense by this, but I told people that those were my years of wandering in the wilderness while I lived in Texas. <laughs> and now I'm back in the promised land in Alabama and I love it. God has delivered me. All right, I don't want to offend any of you. I'm just telling you that's where my heart is. Uh, I tell people all the time, no matter where I go, my home's in Alabama. No matter where I lay my head, my home's in Alabama. There's a country song like that way back there. Some of y'all are old enough to remember that. But as I walked in this morning, it wasn't very hard for many of you to recognize me distinctly here. And I do remember this about Texas while we lived here. One of the things I still appreciate when I come here are those sunsets. We can't see the sunsets in Alabama like you do. We've got too many trees in the way. We got big oak trees and pine trees, and we're surrounded by that uh, in close proximity all the time. So you have to make some effort. Uh, and, and down in Mobile, where I live, it's very flat. Great beaches, right, Ashley? Great beaches, but not much view uh, unless you want to see a lot of water. But in Texas, I cannot tell you the times as I was riding home from the seminary over those hills and valleys or times when we were driving back from Alabama and we would get up on one of those rises coming across that Dallas skyline and could see the sun setting behind it in the distance. Man, it was just striking, striking. If you hadn't seen those, and I'll tell you, in case you don't know, the sunsets are pretty, pretty fantastic as well, but you got to get up to see those, okay? You can catch the sunsets a little easier, but the sun rises are just as phenomenal. Or you ride out here in the hill country, and you come up over one of those rises, and you just see that valley of blue bonnet spread out there in the spring, and it's just, it's just striking. I know this is your capital city. There are probably a lot of museums. I know we had a number of those up in Fort Worth. Uh, if you go to the art gallery, sometimes you'll begin to make your way through there and walk. And then suddenly you'll come around a corner and there'll be a painting that's just captivating. It's striking. Most of you, at least you can relate to the Mona Lisa in that way. If you've ever seen a picture of that. It's one of those kinds of paintings, maybe a, a Monet or a Van Gogh. They have the reputation of being striking like that. They just capture your attention. Some of you ladies appreciate this distinct quality with those rings that you have on your fingers, right? Uh, you like uh, uh, when they, they talk about that engagement ring or that wedding ring or whatever, uh, usually you like something to dangle out there that sparkles and is pretty distinctive and it says, hey, somebody has, uh, has put their claim on me and I've exchanged in right regard my claim on them and we have made a commitment to one another. And uh, as you go along in life, uh, you like uh, those diamonds to even be surrounded by clusters of other diamonds. Am I right? I'm telling the truth, aren't I? I know, I know. Be honest with me. It's okay. We're in church. Uh, it's a good thing. Well, I, I would say to you this morning that, uh, and my wife actually has one of those on her other hand. Uh, we kid a lot in my household. Our first date was the Marine Corps ball. And I was a young Marine at the time. I dressed up full till and dressed blues for that first date. I'll tell you guys, I put it all out there. I was being uh, uh, as striking as I could be uh, so that I could make an impression on her. And it worked. And then I had to sell my pickup truck in order to buy that diamond ring to put on her finger. 
But that's how much I loved her, and that's how striking she was the first time that I saw her. I won't ever forget walking in that music class and seeing her up there uh, in, in near to the front, and I picked out the closest empty seat I could get in to get next to her because I wanted to get to know that lady. And now she wears a ring on her other finger that in the middle, there's a nice pretty jewel there, and it's got this cluster of diamonds that surround it. And it was, in a sense, my way of expressing appreciation for one of my series of deployments in the military where I was going to miss birthday, anniversary, other birthdays, other important events, things that we would normally celebrate together. And I said, hey, when those days come, if you will at least look down on that hand and know that I've said in advance, even though I'm not with you today, how much I love you. God's done something for us like that, very distinct, very spectacular. At a time in history, he sent his son to die on a cross for us. And in all of the review of history, it is the one thing that stands out above all as an indication of his love for us. Though he went back to the Father for a season to make preparations for us to come and be with him for eternity, he left us a symbol, an indicator, which is the cross and an empty grave. As you look with me today at Psalms 33, there is some distinctiveness. There is some striking elements of this psalm, this great song that I want you to look at with me today. Uh, there is a verse that stands out above all others. We're, we're going to work through the clusters that surround this feature verse. But I want us to begin with a focus on the feature verse. You've already seen it on the screen. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. Let me offer you some insights about the words in this verse to hopefully draw out how spectacular, how distinct it is. This word blessed, as we see it here represented, it means to be well off or to be extraordinarily happy. Blessed. It doesn't mean happy in the way that we think sometimes about being giddy or getting what we want. It means extraordinarily happy. It means happy above and beyond measure. It means happy no matter what happens. That's what this word conveys to us, this idea of blessedness. It's an interjection here in the momentum of the psalm. It's an exclamation, if you will. It's a shouting out of how happy we ought to be so that even on our worst days, we can take hope and we can trust in our God. You may have not walked in here happy today, but I sure hope you walk out realizing that you're blessed if God is your God. The next word there is a small word, but it's an important word is blessed is the nation. Uh, that word is actually mentioned twice in this verse. It's mentioned twice in three other verses. It's mentioned 11 times total in this psalm. And it's important for us to realize this morning that this psalm is written with a present tense reality, a now, in this instance, striking truth. Blessed is, not blessed was, not blessed it's going to be, blessed is the nation. Now, I want you to understand about this word nation. This is a, a general use of the term nation. It is a broad sense of referring to a collective of people. Uh, but it's important that you know that because there's a play on words that follows right behind this in the latter part of this verse. And we're going to come back to that. But this is the generic use of of referring to a group of people like our nation, the nation, United States of America. Boy, that, that includes a lot of folks, doesn't it? Blessed is the nation 
who's God. God, here in this instance, is the word Elohim in the Hebrew. Again, it is the general representation of the divine. Okay? That's very important for you to know because the next two words, three words, show you the spectacular, the striking representation here. Blessed is the nation, extraordinarily happy are that group of peoples whose God, who Elohim, who the divine is the Lord, the Lord. Your translation may say Jehovah. It may say Yahweh there. That is a specific representation to the Lord God Almighty that we know and serve according to the Judeo-Christian paradigm of understanding the divine. This is a specific reference to who he means when he says God. The Lord Jehovah Yahweh. This name is associated with the verb to be. It means the existing one. The one who is and never is not. This is the name, if you recall, that was given to Moses when Moses met God at the burning bush. And David is specifically referencing this correlation to who God is. And he says, blessed, makarios. That's the same word that Jesus used. Interestingly enough, he knew the people of his day would know this striking verse, and he chose that word, blessed, makarios, as the foundation that's now translated in the New Testament into the Greek. It's the same word that he used to preach the Sermon on the Mount when he began, blessed, 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 blessed. He unpacked the reality of this verse for us and gave us the distinctions that were expected out of this striking verse. I want you to understand briefly with me what it meant to David, who we attribute this psalm to, as he thinks about this God. If you, if you want, you can turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. I'm going to read verses 11 through 13. You can certainly listen or follow on if you have the opportunity to turn where, with me there to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, beginning in verse 11. This is what David understood about God, Jehovah, Yahweh, the striking manifestation of the divine Elohim. And this was in his prayer just before he died. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. And in your hand is the power and the might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise you for your glorious name, the name Jehovah, the name Yahweh. And today in the New Testament, we would relate that to the name of Jesus, the manifestation in the flesh of that God who came to offer us salvation and an eternal home with him. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Now, I want to very quickly now, that's the striking verse. That's the feature verse. That's the big diamond in the middle, if you will. But I want to show you just a little bit of those smaller diamonds, those smaller clusters of verses that surround this and, and just add even extraordinary elegance to this representation today. Flip back with me to the, the first verses and, and, and I, will, I will read down through these and I want to give you some highlights. I certainly wish I had time to unpack it all, but when we sit down in glory, I'll tell you the rest of it if you hadn't got it by then. But it says in verse one, sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is, there's that word is again. Praise is becoming to the right. Give thanks to the Lord uh, with the heart, Sing praise to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with the shout 
of joy. In that first cluster, we see that it's an expectation for us to praise and worship God. And I thank God so much that every day here in this nation, we have the freedom to do that. You can break out in your car in song. You can do it out on the street. You can do it wherever you like as we follow the prompts that says it is becoming to us. In verse 4, we begin to see why we should do that. For this reason, because we sing, not just because we're happy, but because the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord is, again, that present reality. It is upright and it is always upright. And all of his work is done in faithfulness. Verse 5 says, he loves righteousness and justice and the earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. In that first cluster, we heard about why or how we ought to praise him, how we ought to thank him. And in that second cluster, it begins to spotlight who God is by his nature. And you see those highlights as you look back through that. He's a God of justice, a God of righteousness, a God of loving kindness. It says his loving kindness fills the earth. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, it says the glory of the Lord fills the earth. And I'll tell you, those two expressions of reality concern me a little bit today because that means it is true in this place today. And some of us don't take time to see it. Some of us don't take time to notice God's glory and his loving kindness that is swirling all around us because we've been distracted by the things of the world. As we continue, we then see affirmations in this next cluster about God as creator. It says he gathers, oh, excuse me, back up, by, verse 6. By the word of the Lord, he made the heavens. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters up of the sea together as a heap. He just kind of lassoes them and swirls them around every once in a while just to, just to look at them. And it says he lays up the deeps in storehouses. One night out on the sea, in the darkness, in the midst of a storm, Mark chapter 4 recalls that the disciples saw that and they were astonished when Jesus took over creation and he spoke to the winds and to the waves and they calmed down. And the Bible says they were afraid, they were in awe. And the reason they were in awe is because this man suddenly looked like God. And he did the things that were God-like. And they begin to get an impression that this is somebody who is striking. More and more and more, they begin to get that lesson. It goes on in verse 8. It says, let all the earth fear the Lord. That's a natural human response when you find yourself in the presence of a holy God. To have a sense of fear and awe. And it says, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Let's practice that one time right now. If you could, everybody just stand up in awe of God. Just stand up with me right now. Because y'all are a little slow, a little slow with that. We're going to have to work on that between now and heaven, okay? Because we're going to be doing a lot of standing up in awe of God and worship. And either we're going to be up doing this, thank you, God, thank you, Jesus, or we're going to be on our face saying, oh, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, you can sit down. You keep practicing that between now and glory, okay? Because at some point, somebody's going to sound a trumpet, and boy, you need to come to your feet. Don't be slow about that. You do not want to miss that bus, okay? It says that all the world, and you're going to be a part of that, is going to stand in awe of him, for he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. That's an indication of his power in the past, Verse 10 says in this next rendering, this next cluster, that the Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. And if you're not sure about that, go back and read the story of Babel and Genesis. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. There's the present and here comes the future. The plans of his heart are from generation unto generation. He's a God whose nature is one of righteousness and justice. He is creator, and these verses here tell us he is Lord of all. And as you come to those understandings, there's, you can't help but say, blessed is the nation whose God, whose Elohim is Yahweh. As you begin to comprehend that reality, and it unfolds in our singing. I don't know what the tune of this song sounds like, but I look forward one day to glory, to joining in 
with you in that great angelic choir and singing this song. And I'm about to jump out of my skin or my wings when we come to this verse right here because it's a promise of God. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. It is a present standing reality. My concern today is we have a nation who, like you, is getting up a little slow at these junctures. We have some people who are starting to forget what it means to honor God and respect Him and stand in awe of Him. And we're going to have to do something about that as we seek to get on God's plan. That's the distinctive aspect of this first phrase. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people that are on his plans that are mentioned in verse 11. You don't get to make up your own plan. You don't get to do whatever you want to do if you want the blessings that come along with being a part of this nation. Let's move to the clusters on the other side. Those are the divine clusters that accentuate this feature verse. On the other side of this verse, as we go towards the end of this verse, you will see a manifestation of the human connection. It says in verse 13, the Lord looks from heaven and he sees all the sons of men. From his dwelling place, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He was he who fashions the hearts of them all and he who understands all their works. Translation, no one or nothing is hidden from this God. Everything you do, every word you speak, you will be held accountable to a God of character who expects justice and righteousness out of his people. So be careful because God sees and he knows and he expects better of those he wants to call his own. As we continue to read into the next cluster there, the Bible says in verse 16, the king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. I can offer you just a few examples of those realities, even from Scripture. You remember when the children of Israel were parked out there by the Red Sea. Exodus chapter 14 and 15 says God marched them right up in there to a dead end to make his point. They were all afraid. They didn't know what to do. And God spoke to Moses and says, just watch. Just stand by. Let's do that again. Stand up. Stand up with me. All right, a little quicker, a little better that time. All right, that is a military command to stand by. And what that means is somebody important is fixing to get in, come into the room and you get in this position standing by so you can go to this position very easy, okay? Moses gave them a military command to stand by because God is about to fight for you. Isn't it good to know? Aren't we blessed to know that we have a God that is willing to go to battle for us. All right, you're getting, you're getting better. Go ahead and sit down now. Go ahead and sit down now. That's the kind of God that I want to serve, and that's the kind of God that I want, and I'm so glad loves me. You know the rest of that story. They marched out there towards the water, and those seas opened up, and they walked across on dry ground. <laughs> dry ground. What about the king of Aram? Second Kings chapter 6. He came down. Surrounded the man of God. Elisha, he's up on a mountain. They're taking a nap. He's sleeping through the night there at peace because he knows the God he serves. His servant gets up to go outside. He's going to use the bathroom. That's kind of the way the Bible says he's going to relieve himself. They put it in nice terms. And he went out there to relieve himself and he almost wet his pants because around them was all of these thousands of soldiers and they were only looking for Elisha. And he knew by, by association that he wasn't in a good spot because it was just the two of them up there on top of that mountain. And he come running in fretfully and said, Elisha, Elisha, you gotta get up. We're in big trouble and there's no way out. And Elisha prayed for him. He said, God, open his eyes. And suddenly there was a whole heavenly host of God's army around that mountain striking representation of God's power and authority for that servant. And Elisha said, come on, where are we going? I'm going to go down and talk to these boys. <laughs> I 
And he did. He walked down there because of the authority and power of God. And he said, y'all, come on, follow me. You think you got the right guy, but this isn't the place. Kind of told a white lie there. I'm not sure how we're going to work that out theologically. I'm going to ask him one day when I get there how that works. But he said, come on with me. And he took him into the city. And the Israelite king surrounded him and he said, should I kill them all? And he said, no. Feed them, let them rest, and then send them home. And they had peace in the land. That's the way God works. And there are story after story. Sennacherib surrounded them. God sent one angel. Didn't even send the whole host this time. He said, these guys ain't even worth it. I'm just going to send one angel down there. Gideon and his 300. Some of y'all have seen that movie 300. That's a cool story. God did that a long time before they ever did it. Okay? It's wrote right there in the Bible for you. You just read that story. And all, they didn't even have swords and shields and all that stuff. They had a bunch of clay jars and trumpets. And they chased the Midianites through the night as an evidence of God's lordship. It concerns me sometimes that our kings, our nation's leaders grow arrogant with the power that they have. You need to pray for them. It concerns me sometimes that our warriors put confidence in their own strength and grow proud. Pray for them. Certainly they have to exercise that power as leaders. Certainly we have to go into the battle sometimes and be able to take care of business, to do what needs to be done. But the Bible warns us that it is the God named Jehovah, Yahweh, that ultimately gives the deliverance. He said not even horses and all their power and strength. Can you put that in context? That shaped our understanding of power today. Most of you got here in the car, right? Raise your hand. I'm still making sure you're still awake. Y'all got here in the car, right? Most of you? Yeah. We talk about that car having so many horsepower, right? So much horsepower in that engine, how much torque it's got, and get them go. Danny had a car uh, in college that I remember. I, I passed one on the road here a few years ago. It's an antique now. And I stepped out and took a picture of it. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what kind of car he is. I'll let him tell you that because he might tell something on me. But it, it was a little yellow car, and uh, it got him everywhere he went. But it didn't have much horsepower, did it? But it got him. It was faithful. I want to tell you now that we have a God that has all the horsepower it takes to give us the victory we need in our lives, to bless us if we will live in accordance to that blessing. And I'll tell you today, if you will look at your own resources and you look what the, to what the world has to offer you, you're going to come up short. Because Nehemiah says, it is the joy of the Lord that is our strength. Now we come to the last cluster surrounding this feature verse. Verse 18 says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive even in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. There it is. We trust in his holy name. That's the cherry on top of this progression of what it looks like to be a part of God's blessed people. Notice something in verse 13. It says, the Lord looks from heaven and he sees all. He's panning out over the big picture. But as you come to verse 18, it says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. I look over this audience today, and I pan across, and I see you. And in some general sense, like that word nation is general that we used earlier, I see you as a group of people. But in verse 18, the Bible says, he looks out with his eye in a singular fashion. It means he focuses in on someone to make contact with him. He is looking directly and specifically at them to see if they will become a striking representation of his blessings in their life. If they will follow this pattern outlined in this last cluster. Look at the verbs. If you want to be associated with this kind of people, if you want to be that striking representation 
of God's people in just generation, you must fear him. You must hope for his loving kindness. You must wait on the Lord. You must rejoice. You must trust in his holy name. And folks, all of those things go together. It's not selective. You don't have to get pick one and not do the other. It's all of the above. That's the right answer. Okay? In the military, we have a thing where we do, do this sometimes. Some of my military guys remember that. We, we say something, and then we stomp our foot. I mean, you better be paying attention because that's going to be on the test later. And uh, uh, it's shame on you if you don't get that part right. So if I was to give you a pop quiz right now and say, what are the distinctive actions on your behalf if you want to be a part of a nation that is blessed by God? It's these five things. Fear him. Hope in his loving kindness. Wait upon the Lord. Rejoice in him, even on the tough days. And take comfort in that. And then put your trust in his holy name. All of the above. Answer E. Psalms 20 verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. I think that's a wonderful bookend to where it begins for everybody, where we're to fear God. We're to have a a holy reverence, a respect for him. Because we know he's a God of righteousness and justice. Because we know he's creator. Because we know he's Lord of all. And then we practice on a daily basis that hope and that waiting, that rejoicing. And then no matter what, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. That is what he expects of us. In writing about this passage, Spurgeon said it this way, we should show the world by our lives that we serve a glorious Lord. My expectation of you today If there's one thing I would ask of you to do as you go away from hearing this message today is that you would go out into your communities, into your workplaces, into your schools and become that striking representation of this glorious God that we serve who has blessed us so much. Now I want to loop back briefly to the last part of that verse, that feature verse. That verse is just captivating to us. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And I hope you understand that better this morning, having sitting here and listened to me for a little while. But then it says, the people. That generic word for nation is now honed down with a specific word for a group of people who make a commitment together and look alike and strive together to make a certain identity, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. The people that he has chosen for his own inheritance. If I can press on your time just a little bit more, I want to tell you just a very brief story, but a very personal story. My dad got very ill about seven years ago and lived just a few weeks beyond a formal diagnosis with cancer. He was sick for about a year, but he wouldn't tell anybody because he's afraid we'd try to make him go get treatment. And he didn't want to do that. And I respected that. But after he died, I went from being co-inheritor to sole inheritor of two generations in my family. I inherited a, a small piece of acreage down what used to be a little dirt road out in the country in Alabama. It's got great sunsets. <laughs> and all the other stuff that my grandfather and grandmother had accumulated with him over the years that he was caring for him. He was so committed to family that he talked to all his brothers and sisters. There were seven of them together. And we all came together as a large family. And we took care of them to their dying days. And then he and I inherited the property 
Well, when he died, that all became my responsibility. And I'll tell you this. I hope he doesn't get upset with me telling you. Oh, wait a minute. He's dead. He doesn't know. So. <laughs> he apologized to me just a few days before he died. He said, son, I've left you a mess. And there was, there was a lot of resources, things that he had accumulated over the years. And then all of those treasures that were part of our legacy as a family, some of them were tucked away and kind of hidden. Some of them had been distributed, but a lot of it was still there. And it came to me to try to allocate that among the family. And I'll tell you, boy, that was a strain trying to figure that out. There were five of those siblings still living about two or three months after his death. And I had to try to figure out how them as the 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 older, these were my aunts and uncles, people who had raised me. I mean, they changed my diapers. And I'm about to tell them how we're going to do this. But that had been entrusted to me. And then I've got all of my peers in the grandchildren generation. And then I've got great children, grandchildren I'm trying to think about in this progression. Um, and the range is from somewhere in their 70s all the way down to a year or two old. And I prayed about it hard. I said, Lord, you got to help me because this, this can go bad. This can go south real quick. Because people have their different desires and wants and things. And fortunately, the family as a whole were committed to unity. So one day, we, we took everything out of the house, all the stuff. I, mean, I, mean, I said, y'all come down here, and we're going to start on Friday, and we're going to put everything out in the yard. Everybody can see it and know what it is. This is everything that, that hadn't already been designated to be given with some specific purpose. This was our Lee legacy inheritance, all spread out in the yard <laughs> in this little old plot of ground. And I got the oldest one, my Aunt Myrna, and I said, Aunt Myrna, I went over and picked up a, a soup ladle that her mom had used many days cooking in that kitchen, fixing those homemade gumbo or homemade soup or collard greens. And when I knew when I held that up, the symbol that it was for them, especially the older ones, suddenly it was identified as a symbol of responsibility and authority. And I said, you got the ladle. And I passed it to her and I said, I want you to pick something out that you want, something that you cherish, something that you think will be dear to you. And once you claim it, it's yours. You take it and put it in the car or set it aside, and then we'll pass the ladle to the next. You pass the ladle back to me, and I'll give it to the next person. And we did that for about three hours going through that property. And I'll tell you what astonished me among that generation, the older generation, as they got to looking and picking, I watched one of them one time go over and pick something up. And as they began to claim it, one of the others, she began to have a tear in her eye. And she, she said, oh, I wanted that. And, she, and then she caught herself and she put her hand over her mouth. And as the person who was picking at that moment realized what she, what she was doing, she took it and turned and walked it over to here and said, I want you to have this. And gave it to her. And not only that, gave up her turn. I was so blessed. I said, no, ma'am, you're not giving up your turn. If you're going to act like that, you get to go again. Because I think that's about as godly as it gets in this whole earth. When you see that kind of behavior and you're willing to put yourself aside and give to somebody else. That's what these kind of verses mean for us as believers. That's what we're to look like. That's how we're to act if we want to call ourselves blessed before God. They did that round and around and around we went. I was honored to see it. In the afternoon, one o'clock, the grandchildren showed up. We did it again for three or four hours with that age group. And then in the evening, the great-grandchildren were given their opportunity. We'd gone through a lot of the material. We covered it up as best we could at the end of the night. And then we said, tomorrow, when we come back, whatever's left is free for the taking if you want it. You come back down here at any point tomorrow and it's here. I'll be here to help you and we'll load it up. Whatever you see that you desire. Whatever your heart delights in. Whatever you want to receive as that inheritance. 
And here's why I tell you that story. Because that verse says that the people, the people who God chooses for his own inheritance will be blessed. And what God is preparing to do is one day he's going to call all of those people up out of the graves. He's going to call all of those dead back from the sea and any other rendering that might exist. And he's going to spread them all out on the front yard of eternity. And he's going to say to Jesus, Yahweh God is going to say to his only begotten son, Jesus, okay, son, go out there and start choosing. And he's going to take on his authority as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's going to take in his arms the Lamb's book of life. And he's going to begin to walk among that crowd of people. And he's going to say, you, you're one of mine. Come on in. You, you're one of mine. You're a part of my inheritance. You have given me delight. You have blessed me in your living because you feared me. You hoped in me. You waited on me. You trusted me. And now I want you to come and enter in to my rest. And because of the reality in these verses and the fact that it is today means that it will be when God gets ready to do it. There was a man, it's interesting, Danny, that you would speak about funerals today. There was a man speaking about this passage. His name is John, John Kitchen. In 1660, he was doing a friend of his funeral. And he used this passage. And he said, in life, as you encounter people, you encounter consonants and vowels. He said, there's a lot more consonants than there are vowels. You know that. They're A-E-I-O-U, sometimes Y, right? He said, but without the sound of the vowels, there is no pronunciation. You cannot give language its full meaning. And he said, this man, he was not a great man, but he was a good man. He was a godly man. And because he was a godly man, that gave resonation to the rest of his life and gave it a striking impression to all of those in that community. Today, what are you seeking to be? Are you satisfied being a consonant or you be a vowel today in this world? I'm not satisfied with us being great again. I want us to be godly again. That's what our nation needs. And if you want to stand up and call yourself blessed and count yourself among God's children, then you better demonstrate a holy fear for him. You better learn how to hope in his loving kindness. You better wait on him. You better revere his name. You better learn how to trust in his name and nothing else. Otherwise, on that day, though you think you may have it, and you've become great in moral standards. Jesus will say, I'm sorry. I don't recognize you. You never acted like one of mine while you were alive. You don't have the demeanor. You're not a striking indication of my blessedness. So depart from me. For I don't think I ever knew you. And he's not in those close personal terms. In a moment, we're going to have an invitation. And your pastor Danny's going to come and stand here in the front. And I want to say to you, today's the day to make sure you got that right. Are you pursuing greatness? Or godliness. What's more important to you? As you're going to and fro about on this earth. Because I'm telling you when they draw the bottom line. The only thing that's going to matter. 
is his righteousness that has been manifested in you through the blood of Jesus Christ and how you seek to demonstrate that. We need today in our world to fan out and become the vowels among the consonants so people can see what it means to be blessed. If not, this nation's going to be in a lot worse trouble than it is now. Don't put your trust in the people in power if they are not godly people. And I'm not speaking politically here now. I'm speaking spiritually. Okay? I don't have time anymore for political correctness. The priority needs to be spiritual correctness. And you better make sure you got it right with God before you worry about anybody else. I'm preaching now, but I'm not going to apologize for it. We need some more people that are willing to manifest that in our country today. They call them the great generation. Men that you stood up and women who served beside them, they call them that. In many regards, because they had a spiritual reference point in their life and they respected and feared God. And we've lost that in our country and we've got to get it back. And I'm counting on you to be a part of that. You young people sitting in here, you've got to do something. Our days are getting close to the end. I hope I can be an example to you. I'll certainly tell you what I know. And I know that God's word is true because it says so and I've read it to you this morning. But if we don't hit a turning point pretty soon, God help us. And only he'll be able to help us. So which one of those groups do you want to be in? this morning that's the burning question will you continue to pursue greatness or will you choose to be godly Danny's going to come and stand in front I want to pray for you I want to ask you to stand one more time as we prepare for the invitation I'm going to read you the last verse of this great psalm it is a prayer it is a prayer that the psalmist invoked on behalf of the people, on behalf of his own people that day as they came to the end of singing this great song. As Danny comes, bow your heads and listen to this prayer. And may God inspire you to do what he calls upon you today to do as you realize the truth in his word. Lord, let your loving kindness be upon us according to as we have hoped in you.